Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. This morning, my guest is a soon-to-be ex-colleague. He's the executive director of the Center for Risk Analysis, allied to the uh, IRR. And the CRA is essentially it helps organizations and individuals to understand the current political and economic environment and trends. It provides a range of research projects, briefings, and strategic strategic intelligence services. This has all been overseen by David and Sarah, my colleague. Welcome to the RR show. Hi, Sarah. Always good to speak with you. Good. Uh, David, you've been on before, so your dulcet tones should be recognized. But the reason <laughs> I'm speaking to you today is not for what you do for us, but what you will be doing for the Free Market Foundation as you are set to become the CEO of the Free Market Foundation at the beginning of January. And if I may say, our loss is certainly their gain, mainly the favor. Our area of as being a think tank, the IRR, it's, it's, it's fairly niche in the sense that there are not a lot of organizations promoting classical liberalism, um, and some of my, our colleagues are, have a more libertarian bent. One of the very few is the Free Market Foundation, and perhaps you could give our listeners an idea of what the Free Market Foundation is and does. All right, well, you mentioned that term classical liberalism, and maybe some of your listeners won't be familiar with the term, but it's essentially a philosophy, a view of the world, an ideology that states that the primacy of the individual is the most important uh, feature of political life and the rights uh, that are enshrined in an individual, an individual is sovereign. These are the kind of principles that govern the way we think about policy, the way we think about political contestation. So uh, what does that mean? It means the ability of you to uh, speak freely, your ability to uh, own uh, and ha- lay claim to the property upon which you reside. Uh, so property mm-hmm. rights are important. Uh, the rule of law is an essential pillar of classical liberalism, that individuals are treated equally no matter how much power they have or what their social status is. Uh, mm-hmm. And the market economy is is a fundamental principle of cl- classical liberalism. It's something that uh, we at the IRR have been advocating for for many years, uh, mm-hmm. but it is very much a, a core focus of the Free Market Foundation. So uh, in, in many senses, uh, the FMF uh, is part of the kind of institutional landscape of the classical liberal organizations, but tends to focus much more on uh, economic freedom issues. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. that is grounded on uh, the kind of broader adherence to the classical liberal tradition. Um, but so the FMF focuses quite a lot on economic policy, uh, your ability to to trade and earn an income, to provide goods and services. And a, a principal distinction, I think, between the Free Market Foundation and other entities is this idea that government interference should be limited uh, to very strict uh, circumstances. So we see the state as uh, an inhibitor of economic freedom. We think that individuals should be given the power and the ability to set their own course in life uh, to make economic decisions that they think are best for themselves and for their families and to run businesses uh, with, with minimal interference. Still abide by uh, the laws of the land. It doesn't mean that you, you can just do whatever you want. You also have a concomitant obligations towards others. You must respect the rights of others. Uh, but we believe that limited government, low taxation, uh, minimal regulation – uh, is 
a very important feature of of a market economy and has shown throughout history in many, many countries to have been a huge driver of human progress and prosperity. So we want South Africa to, to succeed. We want the economy to grow. And by doing that, we need to get the state out of the way and give power uh, to individuals and, and businesses to, to set their own course. Interesting, because looking at the history of the FMF coming into existence in 1975 is that within a couple of years, it was really dealing with the nationalist government's proclivity to interfere with the way private business was run, to put strictures on them, let alone the apartheid laws that that affected the society and business at the time. We're now dealing with with strictures being placed. We have a very great deal of uh, red tape in, in, in to contend with in the business world, but we're dealing with a sudden spate of legislation that threatens all those rights. Um, uh, employment equity, in other words, making making them obliged to meet certain uh, racial targets in particular. So in other words, interfering with who they employ and and uh, how many people they employ in in a particular particular race band. Uh, the land court, the new land court will make it very much more difficult to defend uh, private property rights, as will the expropriation without compensation legislation. The national health Insurance is uh, is about to be to go through Parliament and to be finalised. All of these pieces of legislation are just literally waiting to be virtually waiting to be signed into law by our president. They all are essentially smack of a very socialist, big big government uh, inter- intervention in the society. In other words, making a, a, a sort of bad situation very much worse. Can you sort of coming into the FMF at, at the stage where all of this is lining up to assail South African business? What is the FMF's approach likely to be? And, uh, is FMF likely to deal with the government in this respect? Yeah. So, I mean, it's certainly a confluence of, of various factors that are threatening the basic rights and freedoms of ordinary South Africans. So, I mean, I mentioned property rights earlier and mm. uh, you brought up this issue of the land court bill. Um, that's going to subvert many judicial processes. There'll be different thresholds and, and standards for evidence uh, in that. And the, the risk there is that uh, the kind of normal procedures are going to be sidestepped. Uh, so that is potentially going to be a breach of the rule of law provisions. Um, and then, you know, also the EWC bill, uh, that's going to uh, introduce uh, expropriation without compensation, a certain set of circumstances, including if you are holding property for speculative purposes, uh, for, for future profit, which essentially is, is one of the main reasons why people buy property in the first place. Mm. And, you know, would also uh, make it uh, quite difficult if there was a, a third party that were to uh, violate your property rights that, um, that the state might not necessarily uh, act in your interest as the original property holder. In many respects, the FMF has served the function of a traditional think tank. So researching public policy issues, uh, arguing for a particular perspective on policy, uh, writing pieces for the media, submissions to parliament, writing journal articles, etc. So, you know, if you had to look through the archives of the FMF, you'd see reams and reams of, of, of research papers and, and data and, and, and arguments that have been uh, kind of that have contributed to the public policy debate in South Africa, but I think that 
not just the FMF, but other NGOs, I mean, the Institute of Race Relations has also experienced this, that what is the purpose of our existence as organizations? It's not just merely to document what is happening in South Africa. And, and what is happening in South Africa is that the country is going backwards, let's be honest. Mm. So, mm. Um, you know, if you just look at our infrastructure that's collapsing, um, you know, a city like Durban, you know, they weren't running into the ocean. Uh, there were riots last year. Um, there are constant rolling blackouts across the country. The rail network has been asset stripped. Uh, there's political violence, you know, so uh, the economy is not growing. It's only growing at about 1.6%, which is about the same growth rate as the population itself. So that means that economic growth is stagnating. Mm. So there are a lot of really significant problems. And, you know, I think that it's incumbent on organizations like the FMF and also the IR to say, well, actually, you know, we do care about the future of this country and we want to influence the trajectory of the country towards the ideas that we know have worked in South Africa and in other places as well, which is a classical liberalism, just to get back to the, the beginning of our conversation. You know, if you think of a country like like South Korea or Hong Kong, you know, a country like Chile, you know, where there was liberalization that unlocked huge amounts of growth and opportunity and enabled people to lift themselves out of poverty. Um, so we want the same for South Africa. And, you know, kind of polite engagements with the government or formal submissions to parliament, uh, you know, th those are, are quite limited actions. Mm. And so essentially what we're dealing with here is a distribution of power in the country that's concentrated in the hands of the ANC. Mm. And that's where most of the policy that inhibits individual freedom comes from. So, you know, we need to turn our lens on entities like the government that are responsible for infringements on on personal liberty and uh, we need to challenge them. And sometimes that means engaging in one might call politics with a small p is not aligned to a particular party or organization. It's actually that's a, a benefit because we don't mm. have to contest for seats in parliament or, you know, uh, convince the electorate to vote for us. We obviously want to convince the public at large that our ideas are, are sensible and, and should be adopted. But we see ourselves very much influencing the climate. The FMF has the benefit of not being affiliated with a political party, and that gives us independence. And that our mm. independence is really our most uh, precious asset. Mm. So we can speak confidently and with authority uh, about the, the policy positions that we adopt. And there's nothing stopping us from engaging in dialogue with our ideological opponents, mm -hmm. but we're also not interested in joining uh, any kind of social compacts or mm. being part of a consensus-seeking approach because the consensus is derived from a particular origin, right? Mm. The consensus is actually the ANC consensus, mm. and the ANC has a particular set of political objectives which it's seeking to advance. And I think many businesses in South Africa have made the mistake of saying, okay, well, let's have a good faith engagement with the government Okay, there's this hostile policy on the table uh, that's threatening to undermine our independence and our ability to uh, to do business. But let's let's try and get to some kind of compromise position. When you do that, you end up splitting the difference, and you mm. come away a less optimal outcome for you. So, so our view as FMF is we actually need to be a bit more robust and challenge the government. And sometimes that means that we might look a bit adversarial. 
that is something that we are comfortable doing uh, because the stakes are very high in South Africa. And if we continue on this trajectory, we're going to see an increase in poverty, more unemployment and a deterioration in living conditions. We don't want that. I'm glad you raised that point because it's something that I think the, the there's a naivety in the in the big business sector, and and it is exactly that point that you know you're dealing with experienced politicians who come with a view and a and a, and a background of history or ideology to to propose policy, and then they open the door to negotiation, to consultation, to creating a social compact. And essentially what the ANC ultimately gets what it wants, which is, is policy with some aspects of it watered down or negotiated away, but they still end up with, it's almost like if we start at a really impossible position, we'll end up at a position we can live with. And what big businesses fail to do is see that it has been agreed to living with something it shouldn't be living with at all. It should be proposing something completely different. Yeah, and I think you know business also needs to get off the fence. It needs to say, okay, well, you know, who are our constituents? Who do we exactly. actually represent? And, um, you know, I think it's very fashionable in business schools or, or wherever to, to talk about business leadership. And business leadership is more than just managerialism. It's not just running an organization. Business is a part of society. And, you know, when a particular actor comes along that says, okay, well, we're going to prescribe to you what race your employees should be or you're going to need to apply to us for a license if you want to mine and we're going to mm. uh, impose equity requirements on you and also uh, social obligations that mean you're going to have to uh, shelter and uh, you know do environmental assessments and all you know all these layers and layers of regulation for example in the mining industry end up completely stifling that industry to the extent where you now have the country with probably the richest mineral endowment in the world that is only responsible for 1% of global mining output, uh, which mm. just is completely mad. It's incumbent on business leaders to actually know who they're representing. It's their staff, it's their shareholders, it's their customers. It's not the government. Mm. They, they mm. don't have an obligation to to enforce the government's agenda. Unfortunately, during COVID, we saw a lot of that. We saw mm. a lot of big corporates very keen to impose vaccine mandates and mask mandates actually long after the state had kind of shown that it uh, had no longer had the capacity to enforce such mandates. So you know, part of my job and my role is to try to convince business leaders to actually abandon this notion of the social compact and mm. move more towards an idea of a, a transactional approach with government. That if government sure. wants certain concessions, then it needs to make concessions too. And, you know, I think there's this uh, corporatist uh compact that exists in South Africa between organized labor, big business and government. And it's actually what that has achieved is to entrench the interests of those incumbents at the expense of small businesses and potential uh, market, new market entrants. I was going to say that perhaps an example of, of the sort of government getting somewhat desperate and, and wanting to bring the, uh, the the private sector in, but not enough to actually make enough of a difference. And the most recent example is the fact that Transnet has announced that two of its um, slots, which are essentially lines from one area from one point to another, uh, which was it wishes to sell off to the private sector to develop and and run, they've only sold two. And uh, part of the problem is that the agreements are, you know, the private sector is going to put in the investment into these slots, 
and these agreements will only last for two years, and there are all sorts of um, limitations or requirements on them that make it an incredibly unattractive, uh, generally an unattractive venture. The same is probably what's bogging down SAA. Aren't these the sort of things where exactly business should have said, these are our terms and we're not going to back down on them. If you want us to participate, it's got to be on the, on these grounds. I'm putting it a bit bluntly. Mm. Yeah, look, I think sometimes uh, business goes along to get along in the hope that constructive engagement and behind the scenes the dialogue will produce a better outcome. But, you know, politicians are very, very aware of who the, whose interests they serve. Um, mm. And politicians in, in South Africa, most mostly ANC politicians I'm referring to now, mm-hmm. have this idea of the National Democratic Revolution, uh, which is a, a socialist program. Uh, this is not uh, the Reds under the bed fear-mongering. If you read any ANC document, you'll see uh, multiple references to the NDR, the National mm-hmm. Democratic Revolution. And this has been the case since 1969 when uh, the ANC formally adopted that program in the mm-hmm. in Morogoro in Tanzania. Right. And, you know, a lot of the, one of the principles, as you would know of this, is the balance of forces theory. Um, mm. That uh, essentially, I mean, the ultimate objective is to centralize control of of all levers in the economy and in society more broadly in the hands of of the party uh, mm. as the kind of self-appointed uh, vanguard of the revolution and what this means is that private property rights independent businesses that are not reliant on the state are actually a threat to the state mm. they're seen as mm. and the party and the state are conflated they're seen as one entity mm. and um, and in order to advance this agenda, uh, the ANC will put forward various policy proposals and will push as far as it meets resistance from various mm. embedded social actors. Mm. So that is why we at the IR and now in my new role at the FMF have been so, so keen to stress this idea of, of that you actually need to draw hard lines in the sand mm. and say, Private property rights is not something that you negotiate over. Mm. It is fundamental to a free society. You can't have half property rights. You can't be half pregnant. You either mm. are pregnant or you're not. Mm. Um, and so that's why, you know, we can debate about, you know, uh, kind of technical policy related things like, what should the speed limit be or yeah, sure. uh, how much spectrum should be allocated to telecommunications firms and so on. Those are kind of technical things. But when it comes mm. to a fundamental abrogation of, of your right to own property or your ability to, to run a business um, mm. or to determine who works for you, um, those, those are the hard lines in the sand that we will not let any mm. government cross. And when I say any government, I also stress that, you know, there might be in future non-ANC aligned government that seeks to do similar things mm. that for various populist reasons wants to uh, dilute some of the mm. fundamental rights in the constitution and we will oppose those just as robustly as we would the ANC. So it's not like we have some ideological uh, agenda against the ANC, but where we see threats to, to basic rights and economic freedom, then we will push back quite hard on that. 
Lastly, I just wanted to ask in general about the relationship of the Free Market Foundation with other business groupings. Uh, you know, it could be um, any of the Chambers of Commerce, uh, uh, Business Unity South Africa, et cetera, et cetera. Um, to what extent do you have, uh, does the FMF have relations with bodies such as these or um, what role can they play, if any, with the FMF in, in realizing those freedoms? Yeah, so, I mean, I would say that there's no formal affiliation. Um, mm. We might collaborate on specific projects or policy-related uh, issues or submissions, uh, but, you know, like I said, with the, the FMF is independent. We have done historically quite a lot of work with small businesses, uh, so street traders, um, mm. hawkers, and so on, uh, and worked very closely with with those uh, kind of business business chambers. You know, there was a constitutional mm. court challenge around around um, some of the actions. You know, a lot of these traders are harassed by metro cops, or mm. their goods are confiscated and and so the FMF has has been a leading voice in defending uh, informal traders against this kind of harassment and and abuse. Um, right. So you know I think uh, unfairly you know because the FMF has often been seen as a, a voice for capitalism and and for free market exchange that it kind of uh, gets seen as well we're defending kind of only big businesses like the the kind of the big. Uh, monopoly firms, uh, but that's not the case at all. Actually, I mean, we 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 want to see much more competition. Um, our view of what competition is is very different to what the Competition Commission's view would be. <laughs> um, but you know, we want to remove barriers to entry. Uh, you know, we recognise that businesses are not just you know big corporates in Santon, but you know sometimes a solopreneur, a survivalist business, um, you know, even you know, if you read the the book uh, Cassinomics by Gigi mm. Alcock, and I interviewed mm. Gigi on my podcast, you know, there is just an abundance of mm. entrepreneurs who are hustling, trading, uh, who are making ends meet. And even the gogo on the side of the road who's selling mm. Fitcook mm. is doing quite decent turnover, you know, if you mm. actually do the sums. Um, and But all of this is kind of happening under the radar, and uh, we celebrate that. We We think that it's very good that... South Africa is a nation of hustlers and, you know, people who take the initiative. But, you know, I think it just demonstrates that leave people to their own devices. If you don't constrain them, they, they naturally want to improve their life circumstances. They're going to do what it takes to, to earn an income. So uh, we want to give, uh, put wind in their sails and, and, and help them to succeed. But a lot of that means fighting on their behalf, acting as a shield, uh, I kind of like to use this metaphor of the FMF as a shield, that we can engage in the fights that maybe other uh, businesses are a bit too timid to do to do so. So that's why, you know, I mean, obviously our work is only possible with financial support. So I'm using every opportunity like this to to appeal to, to business <laughs> owners uh, to, you know, open their wallets and and to – Put their, their money where their mouth is if they care about the future of this country. If they want to succeed, if they want to see their businesses thrive, then organizations like the FMF are going to need financial support to, to act as that shield on their behalf. I think, I think just to comment on that, I think that's uh, something the business community has, has sort of underutilized is the, the capacity for outside neutral actors to, to take on the issues. Mm. Um, 
David, I wish you the very best of luck. Um, I d- don't believe that we will be not seeing each other or communicating with each other or possibly um, cooperating with each other. And um, this is a great challenge, and uh, I wish you the very, very best 2023 and onwards. Well, thank you, Sarah. I'm very, very excited about the, the new role, and I think the FMF is a great organization with a powerful legacy, and I want to play my own role in writing the next chapter of the organization's history. But I also uh, am somewhat saddened to be leaving the IRR because I think it's the most dynamic non-profit organization in South Africa. I think it's fighting the good fight and uh, it has some amazing people such as yourself. So, Thank you, David. And I guess a luta continua.